In connection with the movie that we saw last night, with Don's comments from last night, I want to this morning, I want to read and share with you some of the things that were said, mostly by the Master, at the World Conference on Unity of Man in February 1974. Uh, This, as I said last night in connection with the movie, this, of course, was at the very end of Master's life. Uh, He was very tired. He was already uh, in the grip of whatever it was that killed him. And he cared very, very, very much about the things that he was saying and doing. And although some of these things we may have heard many times, I would urge everyone to listen to it as though we had never heard it before. Because when Master said these things, His whole being was in them. His whole heart was in them. He cared so much about these points. And, you know, if we love him, we also care. Anyway, this is the, his main address at that conference called The Remodeling of Our Destiny. And the title of the talk um, sort of embodies the whole point of the conference, that our destiny may appear to be one thing, but we have the option of remodeling it if we care enough to take the trouble and time to do it. It can be done. He maintained that over and over at the end. The Sat Yuga is built out of the Kali Yuga, He made that point over and over. The golden age comes out of the iron age. We have the capacity to bring that about. So it's of the utmost importance that for our sake, for the sake of the brother and sisterhood of all Master's followers, and for the sake of the world at large, the universe, that we care about these points. He begins with a quote from Thomas Carlyle, the Scottish philosopher, friend of Emerson. A mystic bond of brotherhood makes all men one. And Master said, Dear brothers and sisters, I am happy to greet you all who have gathered here from all over the world. In this momentous session, we have to explore and find out ways and means to cement and strengthen the solidarity of mankind. Nations, like individuals, are swayed by passions, prides, and prejudices which create chasms in the real social order, which are very often difficult to span. We are living in an age of decadence, when moral and spiritual values are at their lowest ebb. With all these drawbacks, 
and the numerous divisive tendencies, there is still a ray of hope of regeneration and reorientation. This very hope has brought us together. I thank you all for the loving response to the call for remodeling of our destiny to secure a lasting peace. It is said that East is East and West is West and never the twain shall meet. That may have been true at one time or another, or for the author of the dictum, Rudyard Kipling, but certainly it carries no weight with men of God in the present scientific age when distance and space are fast losing their significance and efforts are being made to establish interplanetary contacts. The various countries of the world are just like chambers in the house of God, housing different nations, distinguished from one another by geographic, climatic, and historical conditions, facial contours and complexions, languages and dialects, diet and apparel and modes of worship, all people conditioned by these divergent factors form the great organic whole, W-H-O-L-E, called humanity. With all these seeming differences and distinctions of color, creed, and caste, and these diversities in his modes of living and thinking, Man essentially and basically remains man in outer appearance and inner makeup. Unity already exists in the human form, since each one is born the same way, with the same outer and inner construction, and each one has a soul, which is of the same essence as that of God. We are drops of the ocean of all consciousness, whom we worship as the same God, calling him by different names. Holy men say that the human body is the true temple of God, and that he resides in the temple made by him in the womb of the mother, and not in temples made by human hands and that the human form provides us with a golden opportunity to realize him. Man has three aspects, physical body, intellect, and a conscious entity. He has progressed physically, intellectually, and mechanically. But despite this, he is unhappy and has not developed spiritually. He has developed his head and not his heart, and his scientific knowledge is misdirected to fiendish malevolence. It has created a spiritual vacuum. We stand in the middle of a twofold crisis a state cult of militarism, euphemistically called patriotism, on one hand and an apathy to spiritual development through knowledge of the true self on the other. 
in the absence of any positive thinking on both these levels, we are morally regressing. And in this sad predicament, we cannot have lasting peace. Guru Nanak therefore prayed, O God, the world is aflame and has passed beyond our care. Save it by the means you consider best. The problem before us is how to bring about a change in man's heart and effect his inner conversion so that he can see truly and clearly and learn to discriminate between truth and untruth. Since this lies beyond the scope of body and intellect, it can only come about through an inward illumination of divine wisdom in the sanctuary of the soul. This is the individual aspect of the matter. We also have to forge abiding bonds of kinship among the nations of the world so that they will treat each other with genuine courtesy based on inward love and friendliness and seek the welfare of all members of the human family, transcending their political ideologies which create rivalries and international tensions. During my last foreign tour, I was asked on television in the United States, how can peace be cemented? I told them peace can be cemented only when men rise above isms and presidents and kings rise above countries. To remain in any ism is a blessing if we keep in mind the ideal for which we have joined it and rise into universalism. But if we stick obdurately to the ism, the result is again narrow-mindedness and selfishness. Similarly, if kings nourish their gardens well and keep them blooming in all respects, they should let all other countries bloom the same way and further the cause of human happiness. Otherwise, there will be conflicts and wars. It has been our endeavor of late to find a common forum and meeting ground where such momentous issues could be discussed dispassionately by separating the non-essentials from essentials and eliminating differences in order to find unity and diverse thinking and bring abiding peace on earth, complete concord and amity in all spheres of our life. In order to understand this worldwide movement in which we are participating today, it is necessary to review its background. Religious contacts between East and West were established as far back as 1893, when the patriot Saint Vivekananda went out with the message of the Upanishads in Gita and represented India at the Chicago Parliament of Religions. His life and living showed a practical way to demonstrate the essential unity of all religions, to proclaim the message of which he founded a chain of missions in the name of his master, 
Paramhansa Ramakrishna. Ten years later, in 1903, another young savant, Swami Ram Tirath, presented the philosophy of Vedanta to the West in such a lucid manner that he was hailed as a living Christ. Thus the way was paved for the next great step, the spread of spirituality or mysticism, the bedrock of every religion. In its pure essence, this implies the awakening of man to a consciousness at once suprasensible and supramental, an immediate revelation. All mystics, Eastern and Western, have believed in the possibility of direct communion with the spirit and power of God through love and contemplation without the aid of reason and logic. It puts man on the road to inwardness, not to be confused with escapism, with an active living morality as the essential prerequisite. This is the religion of spirit, or the science of the soul. And through it, an individual finds his proper relation to the universe by establishing contact with God through his expression. The power called Nam, Shabad, Kalmar, or Word, which is the maker, permeating and controlling all creation. The relationship with this power is achieved by developing reverence for life at all levels of existence without distinguishing between high and humble, including man, bird, beast, and the lower species. The non-human forms are the younger members of the family of God. This idea of the sanctity of life is a living religion of love in the innermost part of our being. True theism cannot be reasoned out intellectually or felt on the level of emotions. It proceeds from true knowledge, which is an action of the soul in perfect harmony beyond the senses. This is what is called spirituality, the contact of the soul with the oversoul, and it is achieved by rising above body consciousness through practical self-analysis, a demonstration of which can be given by an adept in the process. We call it paravidya, the knowledge of the beyond, because it lies beyond our sensory perceptions. This science of the soul is not something new. It is the most ancient teaching of all. The way back to God is of God's own make and stands on its own without the necessity of scriptural support to uphold its authenticity but unmistakable references in the scriptures of all religions from the earliest times to the present day do bear witness to the unmanifest reality in its primordial form of light and sound. In the present age, 
Saints like Kabir and Guru Nanak revived the ancient teachings of the sages of the past. In more recent times, the torch was kept alive by their successors until the spiritual mantle came to hallow the personality of Baba Sawan Singh Ji, who during his long ministry of 45 years, 1903 to 1948, gave it the widest distribution possible. In 1911, he began the work of revealing the gospel of love, light, and life to the Western world as well. Rouhani Satsang was founded in 1948 and dedicated to the task of imparting purely spiritual instruction, shorn of all ritual and ceremony, and free from embellishment and symbol to all classes of humanity. Followers of different faiths, beliefs, and creeds meet at Salan Ashram, which became its permanent center in 1951, and address large masses of people coming from different walks of life who are eager to learn and understand the elemental truths which form the quintessence of all sacred scriptures. The discourses converge on the common theme of establishing direct touch with reality, and attempts are made to reproduce and correlate in simple, understandable language the sayings of sages and seers of all times. Presently, this is being spread in 209 centers all over the world, which have helped considerably to remove, to some extent, artificial barriers of race, language, and religion, and brought many kinds of human beings to worship the nameless being with so many names. By the grace of God, a new field unexpectedly opened up in 1957 when Muni Sushil Ji sponsored a conference of world religions with the idea of forming a world fellowship of religions. As a result of further deliberations, there did come into being a fellowship, including most of the faiths of the world, and I was elected its president. Three world tours were undertaken and four world religions conferences were organized in India, besides regional conferences in other countries. The purpose was to disseminate the idea of universal fellowship among people professing different faiths and beliefs, and it brought about broader and better understanding and a sense of mutual trust and confidence at the top level among the representatives of the various religions. But while the religious leaders were coming closer, a danger was developing among the followers. Instead of making religion a cementing force, they made it an instrument to serve their vested interests and began to form communal groupings bearing the labels associated with their isms, fortifying them with artificial walls of hatred and distrust. One wonders how a person professing religion, which is a link between man and God, 
can run the risk of forgetting that he is a man born with the same privileges from God as those he hates and that he is a conscious entity which is a drop of the ocean of all consciousness. To combat this danger of religious chauvinism, it was thought necessary to start the work of regeneration from the roots. Man-making must take precedence. This can only be done by inculcating in people generally the humanistic ideas of unselfish love and selfless service with special emphasis on man service, land service, and animal service, animals being our younger brothers and sisters in the family of God. This idea took concrete shape in 1969 with the decision to set up man-making centers or Manav Kendras here in India and abroad. In India, the man center has been started at Dehradun at the foot of the Shivalik range of the Himalayas. It has set up a hospital, a home for indigent elderly people, and a school for the children of poor families in the area. A provision for farming and cattle raising on modern scientific lines is a part of the project. Eventually, we hope to see a university fully equipped with the original scriptural texts of all of the religions of the world so that comparative studies of the truths contained therein may be undertaken and a language school to overcome linguistic difficulties. This convention, this world conference, aims to unite all mankind on the common ground of service to fellow human beings and faith in divine power. And to accomplish that, it urges the religious and ethical leadership of the world to shed apathy and aloofness and assume a more prominent role in human affairs. Such conferences in the past have been organized at the level of religions and consequently have not been able to achieve integration in the required measure. A significant feature of this conference is that it is being organized at the level of man, as envisioned by saints and prophets like Socrates, Buddha, Muhammad, Christ, Kabir, and Nanak, so that it may lead to true integration. The challenging task before the religious and spiritual leaders is to bring about a radical change in the ethical, educational, and economic status of humanity. Economic uplift is essential because a hungry man is an angry man and to talk of God to him is a mockery. I am confident that each one of us fully realizes the significance of this cosmopolitan meeting and will extend his wholehearted support toward the fulfillment of its objectives. 
developing human understanding and heralding the unity of mankind. Let us pledge ourselves to this task, transcending all narrow allegiances and commitments, and stand united and resolute until its ultimate fulfillment. And that was Master's talk, uh, his principal address in the conference, although as we will see, uh, he did say other things as well. A couple of points before I go on. The term man, I know that many of you heard me say this before, you'll probably hear me say it again even, but um, the word that Master Kripal uses, the Urdu word, insan, okay, does not mean male. And it does mean one who is bubbling over with love. Master made that point. He defined insan in his talk, How I Met My Master. And you can read it there in the book, The Coming Spiritual Revolution. In India, the booklet, Man Know Thyself, which uh, is a quite wonderful brief statement of Master's teachings, is published in Urdu, O Insan Apne Apko Jan, O human being, O individual bubbling over with love, why don't you know your own self? In other words, why don't you know that you're bubbling over with love? You can know it. It's true, and you can know it. So always we should understand this and not think there's any question of maleness when Master talks about man. Both Master Kripal and Sanchi were very explicit on this point. The second thing, uh, I mentioned this before too, the Greek word for sin. In the Bible we read about sin all the time. The word that is translated sin in the English Bible in, in the Greek is hamartia, and Hamartia also translates a similar word in Hebrew, which means missing the mark. It's an archery term. You take a bow and arrow, you aim at a target, and you miss. That's Hamartia. That's what sin is. It's not anything, you know, heavy, evil, creepy, crawly business like we think it might be, it is missing the point. It is not understanding where the target is or trying to get there but missing it all the same. And that's what Master is talking about in connection with religions here. He says that the point of religion, you know, is to recognize and love God and realize that all human beings are the children of God. That's the point. If religion is used for any other purpose, that's hamartia. It's missing the point. It is, according to the Bible, sin. That's what sin consists of. And what we have seen since this particular conference was held, now 40 years ago or thereabouts, which is hard to believe. We have seen the religions of the world move in that direction, the direction of missing the point, 
over and over again. And religion after religion begins to work in exactly the opposite direction from what Master is talking about. And it isn't just one religion. It isn't the other only. It's also ours. You know, we're very aware since uh, 9-11, which is, of course, also Sanchi's birthday, we're very aware of uh, the problems of militant Islam. But don't think that uh, militant Christianity, which exists in several forms, which have exactly the same aims as the militant Islamists, militant Judaism, militant Hinduism, and militant Sikhism, which, after all, we saw Mrs. Gandhi last night in the movie. I won't say she was an initiate, although she may have been. Um, Master never said that, as far as I know. But she certainly loved him, and she visited him and took advice from him, as did her predecessors. Lal Bahadur Shastri, who was the prime minister before her, uh, addressed the Third World Religions Conference, which I also attended in 1965. And Mr. Nehru, Panditji Jawaharlal Nehru, um, talked with Master on several occasions. But Mrs. Gandhi was, you know, very loving friend, devotee, however you want to put it, of the Master, and she was assassinated by her Sikh bodyguards on the grounds that she was uh, basically uh, had different opinion than them as to what counted. So we find that all over. It's not one religion. It's the tendency that Master noticed in connection with his work in the World Fellowship of Religions is it's like it's bursting all bounds. It's coming forth. And it makes people who are serious people, you know, become atheists. They, they say, and, and they are right to some extent. This is what religion does to the world. It turns people against each other. It makes them hate each other. It makes people think, I am right and you are wrong, and that's all that counts. This is all stuff that the masters, all of the masters, are dead against. And we must realize this. You know, this is a very important thing to be aware of. I want to read now a very brief talk from Kakasad Kalelkar, who uh, addressed, this is from one of the panels at the conference. As I mentioned last night, there were four panels, and he was uh, part of the panel that was addressing universal harmony. Kaka Kalelkar was a very close associate of Mahatma Gandhi. He worked with him, as he says in the talk, for 50 years. And uh, he was Gandhi's man in charge of education. That was his department. And Master made him the patron of the Manav Kendra school, the Manav Vidya Mandir, the temple of human knowledge. And Master respected him and loved him very much. And he often addressed meetings and conferences that the master presided over. And he was um, part of, there were a number of old associates of Gandhi that uh, sort of clustered around the master at the end of their lives. 
And Master was very, um, he loved them. He gave them great honor. Many of them had been in prison. One gentleman whose name I forget, but who Master loved very much, had been in prison for 32 years at the time of the British Empire. He was a, a follower and friend of Gandhi. And he addressed the, the conference, uh, the Unity of Man conference also. And he was um, very much loved by the Master. And it toward the end, he was a little bit out of touch with reality in a sense. He was kind of, I don't know, senile or what. But sometimes once he addressed a large meeting and turned his back to it and spoke toward the back of the stage. And some people uh, wanted Master to not have him anymore, but he refused. He said, no, he has sacrificed his life. He's my friend, and he's going to do whatever he wants to do on the stage. So Kaka Kalaukar addressed this panel, and this is what he had to say. It was given the title, Love as Fearlessness. And this resonates with some of the things that Sanchi said, which I'm sure you will remember. Our greatest strength must be love which is fearless, non-violent love. It is time the world was viewed as a great family. I think it is ripe for the reestablishment of a familyhood of all religions, all cultures, and all races. If it doesn't come about, a world war may well happen. And with the present development of science, it could be an unprecedented disaster. Sant Kripal Singhji is doing this work, that of making all religions and races one. And as a humble servant of Mahatma Gandhi, I congratulate him for organizing this conference. Now we have to establish that familyhood through love, complete fearlessness. If we want to establish peace, we have to work for others. Sanchi wants to give thought, wants us to give thought to these things and to do service for the whole world. We are in a country where people of all races and religions are gathered together. We must love each other. All our energy should be saved for actual work. We invite Muslims, not as Hindus, but as members of one human family. We should have hope for our towns and villages. In the villages, people do not understand economics, but they understand religion and they understand culture. That has been the tradition of our country. We must now have a great organization and go to the villages and tell the people the central part of their religion is to love others. We must ourselves stop hating others and start loving. Mere speaking won't do. Under Sanchi's initiative and guidance, we should have small groups all over the world. We should, as members of the same family, build a new culture, a new civilization. Science is very useful because scientists worship truth. 
We want to make science more spiritual, and only saints can do it. So I express my gratitude to Sanchi for organizing this international conference. I belong to Mahatma Gandhi's group. I was vice chancellor of the university started by him and worked under him for 50 years. Sant Maharaj is doing the same work which Gandhiji asked us to do, establish harmony and unity of man. Religions are different, but we are all bound together by love. My definition of love means fearlessness. You don't threaten anybody and you don't fear anybody. And of course, Sanchi made the same point Santa Jabe Singh when Kakasab refers to Sanchi, of course meaning Kripal. But Santa Jabe Singh made the same point when he said the principle of Satmat is this we don't intimidate anybody and we don't allow anybody to intimidate us. We're not afraid of anybody and we don't make anybody afraid of us. Very simple. Couldn't be simpler. And I want to read now the resolutions, which were... You're, you're running out of time. Uh, when, when do we end? As soon as they're ready. In five minutes. In five minutes. Well, okay. <laughs> I won't read the resolutions. <laughs> we'll look forward to that some other time. What? Oh, it's the Bound Volume Satsandesh, 1974. Yeah, it has all the uh, unity of man stuff in it. Um, so most of which is also published somewhere also uh, in uh, The Way of the Saints, actually. Um, I'll just finish up. It is, I think, of the absolute paramount importance that we take seriously the words of the masters which although you know in every religion people do do their best they do try their hardest to act according to the teachings of the masters as they understand them but the fact remains that in every religious group including Mat, it is very easy to miss the point and we become involved in making other people agree with us that our path is best, our religion is best, our master is best. Many times when people who connect with different groups come together, the idea is my guru is better than your guru. I know people in master's time often, Master Kripal's time often, whenever they met somebody from another group with another master, they would try to convince them that Kripal was master. At the time of the Fourth World Religions Conference in 1970, one of the disciples of Master went around telling the delegates that Master was God. And Master, when he realized this, was furious with her. I Well, that's the way it was explained to me. Actually, Master never got furious ever. But let's say he was not pleased because she was missing the point. And 
Similarly, when he says in his last circular of all on the unity of man, which I'll probably read before um, the time our our weekend is over, that this will not be tagged with Rouhani Satsang or with any other similar organization. You know, and you'll hear when we get to the resolutions, you will hear that this is specifically addressed in them also. So it is of of the utmost importance that we get past that point of trying to proselytize or persuade other people that we are right in this point and go to the exact and direct basics, the essence of the human predicament, of the human condition, the forgetfulness, the sleep, and the terrible flailing about at a target that we only dimly comprehend. And this is where our love, our remembrance of our Master, our awareness of His love for us and His love for the whole world can all come into play. So that is the mission before us, and I will try to elaborate further on that as the weekend goes on. So, God bless us all. Thank you.